Let me first pray for us, and then we will begin. Father, we once again want to say thank you for the Lord's Day, that you would set apart a day, that you would gather your people uh, for their benefit, for their strengthening, for their correcting, for their renewing, Father. Uh, May that all happen today by the power of your Spirit. May you work in us to give us ears that truly hear, and hearing, may we truly believe, and Father, may we will what is according to you through that faith. And Father, today as we offer up um, our worship, may it be pleasing in Christ, and as we offer up um, even a sermon through Dennis today, may that be pleasing and may that be efficacious to us today, all for your glory and for the sake of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. So we have been walking through a few of the chapters of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, We have today and then I believe next week, and I believe that will be uh, in for the series series through justification and adoption uh, next week. Um, So today we're talking about justification. And my prayer is that even if uh, this is a doctrine that we all have either learned or know pretty well, and if it's not anything too new, that the Lord would still bless us. Uh, with just a a good remembrance of what we already know, Uh, because this is a beautiful doctrine. It can be easily blurred with other parts of the Ordo Salutis. It can be blurred with our sanctification, and that's not good. It can also be blurred with our calling, and that's not good either. We, We want to distinctly know what is this to be justified, right? Distinctly know the just judge who is God justifying sinners, us, all right? And we know salvation is a package deal in Christ, but within that package deal, we talk about the word justified, and we're going to narrow in on that particular doctrine today. Uh, Before we do, I want to read Romans 3, 21 through 26. Now, this chapter is, it's interesting in the Confession of Faith, it was not as uh, fluid, a nice flow, as I wanted. It's a little more choppy. Um, they're defending against a lot that's going on in their era. They're articulating uh, little points here and there and there. Uh, but this section of Holy Scripture encapsulates almost everything they're trying to say really well. So I'm going to read through this, and I'm going to talk about it as I read it. And then we're going to look at the confession of faith in light of these verses. All right? So in starting verse 21 of Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. All right, so in the previous chapters, he is talking about sin. In chapter 1, how sin manifests in all people and those whom God is giving over to their unrighteousness. They're growing in sin and spiraling down in sin. And then in chapter 2, he starts talking about the difference between the Jewish Old Covenant and the believers, and now Gentiles. Is there a, a difference And then in chapter 3, he says, but we need to make sure we know all have sinned, all fall short. And he starts talking about how people in the Old Testament did have the law, did have the prophets, 
something was pointed to, but now that Christ has come, something has been manifested. All right, so he's, he's leading up to this now in verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, they did bear witness to it. All right, they weren't nothing. They weren't pointing to something that would come eventually without an effect. They were laying bare to this righteousness. The law and the prophets, the Old Testament, truly were bearing witness to this. But now that Christ has come, something has been manifested, and that is the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift. By His grace is a causal statement. By which means, how, what was the cause that this justification happened? What was the the causal thing that brought this justification? Answer, God's grace. And this grace by which he justifies, it's a gift, not a contract, or he comes around and says, you know what, if you give me obedience, I'll exchange that for some justification. If you give me contrition and sadness for sin, I'll give you some justification. Let's exchange something from you, and I'm going to give you something from me. No. When you give someone a gift and you wrap it up in a present, you give it to them because you love them. You give it as a free gift by grace. But this gift has a means. It's through something, right? The means by which this gift is coming to you, how it is accomplished. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. As the law and prophets were bearing witness to Christ who would come, It was truly a gift given to the Old Testament people of, no, 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 there is a Redeemer coming, trust in Him. And now that He has come and been manifested, we can look to Him as the one who accomplished redemption, the one who is the justifier in Himself, the one who perfectly obeyed the Lamb who was slain. You being just before the eyes of God is through Christ. Not necessarily, right? Not causally, not through the greatness of your understanding of Christ. Not through the meekness of your understanding of Christ. Not through the the vigor of your faith in Christ. Him, himself through him, whom, I'm talking about Christ, God put forward as a propitiation 
a satisfaction, a payment. Your faith didn't pay this. Your willingness didn't pay this. He did. He was set forth as the payment. And you are the receiver of this justification. All right, and this is where this verse is talking about many things, about the the grounds of our justification, the cause of our justification, the means by which God accomplishes it, and then right here, us. How are we appropriating this justification? How are we receiving this work of God on our behalf? And finally, he says, this was to show... God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, right, his divine patience and long-suffering, he really had passed over former sins. He really did pass over the sins of Adam and Eve. He really did pass over the sins of people of Abraham and Moses. His judgment, his condemnation really didn't fall on them. It had been passing over, passing over, passing over. No condemnation, no condemnation, no condemnation. And the people of old were looking forward. Well, who's going to be condemned? Who's going to be the one fulfilling all righteousness? It kept passing over, looking forward, looking forward. And in the righteousness of God, in a moment put forth all condemnation on one man and received all the satisfaction of the law through one man. The full payment, condemnation and full obedience through one head, one mediator. True for the Old and New Testament believers. And this was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he, being God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is not one who brings in people and declares them to be pardoned of sin unless he condemns those sins. All right, that would be an unjust God to look at a people and to account all their sin before his eyes and just go, well, I'm going to go ahead and just declare you just and not deal with your sin. No, he's a just God and punished Christ, poured out wrath on Christ so he could look at you and declare innocent. And in the same way, he doesn't declare you righteous without you actually fulfilling the law. He doesn't declare you as one who perfectly and personally obeyed without personal perfect obedience. And thus he looks upon Christ, receives his personal perfect obedience, and turns his gaze on his people, declared just, righteous, obedient. That's how God is just in his justifying. 
And this is what the confession of faith in this chapter wants to unpack. This right here, this this understanding of who's the one doing it, what's the cause, how is it accomplished, what are the means by which we appropriate this, and how is God in his eternal justice really declaring us, weak sinners, feeble-minded people who for some reason keep turning back to our sinful desires, our sanctification is slow, and yet he declares us perfectly obedient, never have sinned people. So that's what we're looking at. And we're actually going to look first at stanzas three through six, because that talks more about the what. And we're going to try to spend more time on one and two. They get more on the nuts and bolts. So this is how the confession of faith describes this in uh, stanza three. Christ by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those that are thus justified, and did make a proper, real, and full satisfaction to his Father's justice in their behalf. And that justice is a double-edged sword. It is the justice that demands condemnation for sin, and the justice that demands acceptance of perfect obedience. A just judge accepts true just acts in pleasure, gladly accepts, delights over obedience, delights over a perfect law keeper, and a just judge also rightly condemns all sin, has no affection for sin other than hatred, disdain. He's a just judge. And Christ, who was we, his bride, given to him, are united to both that obedience and that receiving a condemnation. Yet, inasmuch he was given by the Father for them, for us, he was set forth for us. And his obedience and his satisfaction are accepted in their stead, both freely, not for anything in them. Their justification is only a free grace that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. It is a, uh, it's a hard thing to make real in your life that God is glorified in justifying you. We often tend to think, that his justifying sinners does flow from mercy and love. It's not often that we also think about the glad glory God took in declaring you a just person in Christ. And that's because we, I think we don't 
we often think about justification purely from the relationship of God and sinner. That's, that's a good relationship to think of, but we also need to think about our justification in the relationship of God the Father and God the Son. That when God the Father put forth the Son to be like a lamb, there was a glad agreement between the two of them. When God the Father put the Son uh, before his people to be a fulfiller of the law, there was a glad agreement before the two of them. And so for God to look at Christ who fulfilled the law and received condemnation, and then to look at his people for whom Christ died, and for God to look at them and call them just is a glorious exaltation that God has of what Christ accomplished. God is rejoicing over the work of Christ on the cross and in his full justice, his delight of truth and delight of Christ did, he looks at feeble people like us and declares righteous. Not because something wrought in us, something done by us, but because of the just, loving relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and this overflow, looking at his people, the betrothed of Christ, the children of the Father, and they say with one will, declare you just. Because he's a just God, cannot deny his Son. He can't deny himself. So with justification being a true act of grace by which he declares you a righteous person, I want us to start with that dynamic that the Father and the Son are doing something on your behalf. And then stanza four, God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect. And Christ did, in the fullness of time, die for their sins and rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified until the Holy Spirit doth in due time actually apply Christ unto them. Two things here, or actually a few things. This is where uh, Reformed theology comes through with great strength, right? When we talked about the ordo salutis, all those for whom God foreknew, he predestined, all those he predestined, he called, all the called, he justified, and all the justified, he glorified, right? It's a, a package deal all in Christ. And I think it's a, it's a sad misnomer if we take that ordo salutis and see them as stepping stones in a garden, right? So I'm on the first stone of foreknown. Now I'm going to jump over this stone. Now I'm part of the uh, predestined. Jump over here. Now I'm part of the called. Now I'm part of the justified. Now I'm part of the sanctified. And you're leaving behind old stones of the work of God that no longer matter. You're just jumping from step to step, Instead, I want you to see them as stones 
packed on top of each other. And each stone rests upon another foundation under it. So our our glorification, our final glorification, really does rest on the work of sanctification. But our sanctification really does rest on the complete work of justification. But our justification really does have a foundation of our being called. And our being called really does rest upon the foundation of being predestined, and our being predestined falls onto the foundation of, of election, and at the very bottom stone is God himself doing the work all the way through. Those whom God himself gave to Christ, he being the final stone that supports it all, when he gives you to Christ, I mean, you are set in this perfect salvation. And it's for those whom Christ died, those whom were given to him by the Father. And it was his death and his resurrection, paying for sins. But when he rose again, he accomplished victory over that death. The death in which sins demand, he not only paid for it, he conquered it and now holds true, glorified, everlasting, pure, perfect, obedient life in himself. And you are accounted as in him, for he accomplished this for you. And then, nevertheless, they are not justified until the Holy Spirit doth in due time apply it. So I think um, with the divines thinking covenantally, I I think, they don't say it explicitly, but I do think it's in the back of their head, that when we gather together with the justified corporate people of God, and then we have people who at one point seem to, like a child, grasp it and get it, right? We talked about that last week when we are called out, called into Christ. And when we grasp it and get it, it's because the Holy Spirit internally is doing a work, causing the mind that was set on the flesh to be set on Christ, the heart that was in enmity now in love. This application of Christ is how we are actually justified. We need to be united to this work. And then five and six. God doth continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from that state of justification, yet they may by their sins fall under God's fatherly displeasure, and not have the light of continence restored unto them until they humbly humble themselves, confess their sin, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. When you are declared just by God Almighty, 
it, it's an eternal, authoritative decree. All right, so I want you to think about uh, my, my second daughter, Rory, cannot handle things she calls yucky. She's, she can't handle yucky things. If she gets something yucky, like sticky on her hand, she'll eat a lollipop and then be surprised, oh, there's something yucky on my hands. She'll, just, she'll wave and go, yucky, yucky, yucky. I can't, I can't handle it. So Lydia will take her, wash her hands, clean her hands, and then look at Rory and declare, clean. And sometimes Rory goes, uh-uh, I'm not, no, uh-uh, I'm still yucky, still yucky. And Lydia will go, no, hear me, clean. I, your mom, are declaring to you, clean. All right, so the, the declaration of clean is not the same thing. It's not the same thing as when Lydia took her hands and actually washed her, Right? The actual washing of the Holy Spirit of regeneration, making you alive, making you a new creature, new creature in Christ, that's regeneration, the cleaning. But what logically follows that is a declaration of clean. And and Lydia's just just a mom who who is like us, a creature of dust, and that that declaration has a weight and bearing on my daughter. She goes, okay, goes off and plays. But now think about the king of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who sustains all things. The very world trembles at his presence, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. And he looks at you and decrees just. That does not go away. There may be times in your sin you don't act in accordance to that decree. That you actually do find yourself running back to sin, which is yucky. And that sin does invoke displeasure in your God. It does invoke displeasure. But friends, it's a fatherly displeasure. It's not the displeasure of a judge who has not yet been satisfied by righteousness. It's not a judge twiddling his thumbs and fingers, keeping account and going, man, I don't know how you're going to reach justification by the end. You are really far behind. It's a satisfied judge, a judge who has no more condemnation. And I want you to hear me. The displeasure your sin invokes in God is real, and we should not be toying around with sin. But it cannot compare to the pleasure God has in Christ. It can't. Your sinful displeasure doesn't outweigh the pleasure God has in Christ, who is your righteousness, who is your fulfiller of the law, who is the lamb who was slain for you. You think your sins, small or most egregious, can outweigh his pleasure in Jesus? No. 
So the displeasure he feels is like a father saying, stop toying around with that. That is sin. That is wrong. That is yucky. That wages war on your soul, but he's doing it from a fatherly position of fully satisfied. Something I don't think, I, I can't even make a full analogy. I tried in my head, because even when I correct my children, I am not a perfectly satisfied man in Christ. It just warms my heart to think, no, he's doing it from a place of finally, fully paid for in Christ. It can't outdo it. But we do still need to come in humble submission, begging for forgiveness, because he does withhold the continence of his joy, right? David, restore to me, not my salvation, the joy of my salvation. Father, I want to have the same satisfaction in Christ that you have. Restore to me this joy Restore to me the, the livelihood, for my bones are like broken and drought and dreary because of my sin. But hear me, I do think a lot of times we delay asking for forgiveness, we delay repenting, we delay coming to our King and our Father, because we're not sure which one will win the weight of our sin or the weight of Christ's obedience? Will he really forgive me? Will he really account Christ as ashamed so when I bring him my shame, he will clothe me in glory? Is that really what's going to happen? And I want to encourage you to think, ah, I wasn't even justified because of the pleasure he has in me but because of the pleasure he has in Christ, my mediator. And my sin cannot taint that pleasure in Christ. And therefore we run and beg, Father, restore, renew, correct. I want to be found in that same pleasure of walking with my mediator. And then in 6, the justification of the believers under the Old Testament was, in all these respects, one and the same with the justification of believers under the New. He really was passing over sins. He really was administering a new heart. He really was working with people in the Old Testament who were in faith. You can't read Hebrews 11 and not see that there were men and women in faith. All right, so I, I wanted to walk through those quickly because one and two is where I think we get the most uh, questions of how this works. All right, so I, I want to look now at stanzas one and two. So that's kind of the, the what of justification, right? When we talk about the heart of it, uh, it's secure and eternal in God and in Father and the Son in their relationship, and it is a part of where you are decreed forgiven, decreed just. How does this work in a more nuts and bolts way? So in stanza one, 
those whom God effectually calleth, right? So we talked about that last week. He works in you to call you out, to give you new heart, give you new mind, new affection, right? Those people he freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and accounting and accepting their persons as righteous. So this infusing of righteousness, this is a word talking about something working in you. All right. When we talk about justification, we, we need to be very careful. The call is an in-you thing where he reaches in you, changes you. No longer in Adam, in Christ. Calling you out effectually. When you are declared just, it's not because this substance of righteousness, this some kind of thing that's uh, obscured, is righteousness is put in you, right? It's not infused into you, and then you say, well, of course God accepts me. Look at this righteousness in here. Look, look at this. Come here. Come, come look at this righteousness that's been put in me, that's been infused in me, and there is the grounds of God accepting me. Now, there, again, don't discount the work he does in you, but when you think of justification, it's an over you thing. It's a decree that has authority and weight that is said over you. You are decreed, declared by God pardoned. And that stands over you as a status change. You are decreed, declared, accepted, right, a full fulfiller of the law. And that decree is weighty and cannot be changed. So if you waver in your obedience, if you waver in your walking in righteousness. It's not that you and your righteousness are wavering. No. Because it's something that's done over you, not something infused into you. And this, this decree, this declaring, it's, it's not because anything wrought in you and it's not because of anything you've done. And hear me, this includes faith, all right? Now, this is a, this is a hard one. I want you to hear me clearly because I'm not saying faith is not a necessary means. It is. It's not a cause, all right? So this is where he's talking about the grounds of causal work, I want you to think of a painting. All right, so I'm not artistic, so I'm not going to draw anything. But let's just say someone draws a beautiful, beautiful painting, and they use different means, right? They have a brush, they have water, they have paint, they have the canvas. There's a lot of means 
used by the painter to create this beautiful work of art. But no one goes to an art show, looks at a beautiful painting, and goes, man, I want to meet that brush. I, I, I really want to meet the water and the canvas. No, no. <laughs> we instinctively go, I want to meet the painter, the cause, the person who did this. Your faith is a means, like a brush in the hand. Oh, but it is a means in the hand of God who caused justification. In Corinthians, it says it's because of God you are in Christ. So even your faith is not the cause that made God's head turn to you, right? He wasn't turned away in anger and then turned to you like, oh, I hear faith. Oh, that drew me to you. That's the cause. Yet, Christ's sake alone. The true cause. The true cause. Hear me. The true cause of being declared just was Christ. Because you were on his heart and mind during his ministry. You were already elect. You were already the people for which Christ came. You were already those whom Christ received as his betrothed. And when he came down to earth, he clothed himself in humanity. You were already in the mind. You didn't cause that. Your faith didn't cause him to put on flesh. Your faith didn't cause him to go to the cross. It didn't cause him to obey. Out of love and grace, you were here and here. And when he went to the cross to pay the penalty and to offer offer up perfect obedience, that was the cause of your justification. That's where the grounds, when you want to with the weight that holds up your justification, it's there. That's why we look to him, people. That's why we're enraptured by him and the salvation that is fully in him. While you were yet still sinners, Rick loves to say, while you were waving your fist, he put on flesh. He obeyed. He resisted temptation. While you were waving your fist, he fulfilled the ministry and offered. And justification stands there. And again, your cause is not because of anything imputed like faith. Don't mishear them. Faith is a gift. It is the means by which we're united to Christ. But never look at your faith as the cause of being just. When your faith wavers, your justification does not. When your faith seems to be boisterous and vigorous, your justification's not growing. 
It's not waxing and waning with you because we are finite sinners. Yet it stands as secure as Christ is. But he is actually imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ to you. Your, it was um, John Bunyan who really struggled with assurance of faith. Um, in some of his journals, he talked about how he felt like there was an actual uh, demonic presence just kind of following him, whispering doubts with little sins. Uh, there you go. See, you're not really just. You're not really righteous. Or if he had a really good week and he felt like he was fulfilling the law, he would have a see. You think you're fulfilling the law, making yourself righteous. No just person does that. And so Bunyan struggled. He, he kept struggling again and again with this idea of how, how do I really see the grounds of my justification never wavering? And it wasn't until he actually read Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians. And it struck Bunyan like a lightning bolt. My justification is already in heaven. My justification is Christ. My righteousness is Christ. And he sits before the throne. Any of my attempts to be faithful is already received in Christ there, interceding on my behalf. When I sin, my righteousness is there before the throne of God, interceding. When I worship, he's there interceding. When I fall, when I doubt, when I mess up, he's there, he's there, he's there. He doesn't waver. The interceder for me. And that struck Bunyan so hard. His ministry was just changed from there. And this is what they're getting at. He is imputing in your justification Christ and what Christ did did. This is why scriptures say your inheritance in heaven is undefiled, waiting for you. It can't be tainted. And then us, now we're getting into how it is we receive this justification. They, right, so us, the bride, receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith. Everyone wants to be justified in the eyes of man. Worldview after worldview comes around, and at the core of it is, how will man see you as just? Are you picking up the new latest cause and activism? Are you just before the eyes of man? This is how we see justice, right? Are you living up to the perfect mother, wife, daughter, son, husband at work? The gaze of others is the standard. And we, there's this desire, sinful, to make sure other people know we are really a just people. We're doing it right Faith is when you receive and rest 
that in the eyes of God Almighty, it's done. Christ has done it. I'm resting on his sufficiency. I'm resting on his efficacious work to satisfy the true judge. Faith is a, an empty hand that receives, an empty hand that trusts. And so when you look to God, you actually say, look at Christ on my behalf. Look to him and pardon me, please. Look to him and deal with me according to him. And I trust that you, God, want to do that for me. You are the rewarder who rewards me on his behalf. The reward that is Christ's, you want to give me. And I'm trusting that, receiving that. And this faith, they have not of themselves. It is a gift of God. In Romans 10, it says, faith comes by hearing. And then it says, and hearing, right? In the same context, and hearing comes by the word of Christ. So even the hearing, the understanding of what is right and true in God is a gift. And faith comes from that. We are a people who have faith given and strengthened and sustained. It is all a gift and work of grace. And then finally, we have this year on faith. All right, so we've talked a lot about the working of God. And this is where we talk about us, right? We are commanded to have faith, repent and believe. That's a real command. It's not an option, right? It's a command, repent and believe. We need to have faith. But we just went through this whole thing of how justification is actually not about us and our faith. And I don't want to leave without giving you an understanding that we, there's a faith component in another chapter in the confession. They dive much more fuller into the nature of saving faith. But here they do talk about this faith. Faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is the alone instrument of justification. Right? Instrument in the way that we talked about that brush. It is a means by which we are united to Christ. But that means of faith is not the cause, but it is a real means. And there's no other means necessary. All right? There's no other means necessary than true saving faith. Not faith and other things. This is the only true means. But we need to understand what faith really is. If we're going to say this is the true alone means, we need to understand what faith is. We can't just say raising a hand, praying a prayer, writing on a card. We can't just say having a mental comprehension, 
can't just say ascending to that mental comprehension and going, oh yeah, that's really true. Nice. There's a trust factor, a real tangibleness to our faith. Though it alone is the only means by which we are united to Christ and brought into justification, faith is not alone. And this is a hard concept at times where we can get blurred. We're not saying faith and works will make us justified. Faith alone. But then if we take a microscope and go, well, let's look at this faith, this faith that is the alone instrument. What does that faith look like, smell like, taste like? What does that faith do? It is ever accompanied with all other saving graces and is no dead faith, but it worketh by love. It's an active faith. Your activity in the faith is not what justifies you. But that faith that does justify you is an active faith. That faith is alive and obedient. Your obedience does not justify you. But the faith that does is an obedient faith. It's not dead. It doesn't just ascend to knowledge like the demons and go, no, that's true about God, and then just stops. It takes hold. It's united to the living hope. Your faith is alive and working in you by the Spirit. The Spirit is working faith in you, and that's why your faith worketh worketh love. Faith does work. But that work is not what justifies you. But a true justifying faith works love. And we see this in Scripture. I want to I look at Hebrews 11 real quick to look at this distinction. In Hebrews 11, it's going through people in the Old Testament of faith. And it's not, chapter 11 is not highlighting the grand works that they do but that they were all doing these grand things in faith. Their active living faith was working, trusting. All right, so I'm going to read verses 1 to 3, then 6 through 7. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Your faith, right, in faith, you really do believe in condemnation and judgment. You, I mean, it's, it's a sure thing. And you really do believe Christ is the only one good. It, it's an assurity. It's a conviction that I need to be in him. For by it, this faith, the peop, uh, by it, the people... Boy, there we go. I messed up. My, for by it, the people of old, right, under the Old Testament, they really did receive their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that it, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Right? You, by faith, when you look at the world, you really have a weighty, true conviction the unseen Creator did this. Right? In faith, you look at tangible reality and say, 
there's a maker, a providential king, a ruler. The beauty of this world, the wisdom of this world, the order of this world, it didn't just happen. Oh, there's a, there's a real unforese- unseeable king doing this. And then they use an example of Noah to talk about this faith. Verse 6, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards. He does. He rewards those who seek him. All right? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, right? Noah, I'm going to flood the world. It's a flood. Noah, I'm going to condemn the whole world. I've not seen that before. Noah, I'm really going to do this. Hearing the words, receiving them in faith, having a weighty true conviction, this is going to happen. This faith gift of God, Noah says, I believe that's really going to happen. In the reverent fear, constructed an ark for saving his household. Dead faith would not have constructed the ark. Constructing the ark was not his justification. But if you want to know how is there real living faith, it's working. The ark wasn't made in a day. It took time, day after day, picking up heavy wood, getting splinters, getting cuts, day in, day out, And you could look at that labor and really say, there's faith. There it is, the tangible reality of faith. Noah heard, he believed, that was a gift worked in him. And then every day, that reality of what was to come, God worked in him and it worked out of him where he constructed an ark in faith. Same with us. If you are parents, you receive these promises about how to raise your children, and you get up and you work in faith those promises when you go to work. In faith, you know how you're to treat people and to not exalt yourself, but humble yourself and trust that God will exalt you. So in faith, you serve. In faith, you love. In faith, you humble yourself. When you come here, you really believe God uses these means to bless you. He uses these means to bring you through in salvation. So you come, and in faith, you partake of the bread and the wine. You partake of the singing. You read the law. Saving faith really works because it really believes. And it really believes because God really gave it to you. It really is a gracious work. And then by this, he condemned the world, and he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was an heir of righteousness. His righteousness is the same as yours, Christ himself. And he worked in trusting that.
Uh, Father, we do thank you uh, that you justify solely by the cause of Christ. Not because of us, anything we've done, anything we do. Christ alone, for his sake, you decree us to be right in your gaze. And Father, may we walk in accordance with that. May we truly walk by faith. May we work in faith. May we parent in faith. May we uh, be a married couples in faith, worship in faith, trusting you, looking to you, receiving correction, walking in accordance with your word because you have decreed and declared us to be right. And do this, Father, through the work of your Spirit, so we may be a people who delight in you and glorify you all of our days. Amen.